Hello and welcome to the Basement Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Castro, here with my co-host, Ed Birdsall. Mr. Birdsall, how you doing? 14-time champions, Adam. 14-time FA Cup winners. The, the Arsenal Football Club. Smashing performance over the weekend by the boys. Two goals scored by captain leader legend Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Resign that contract, Pierre. I can give you a few bucks if you need. It's a great weekend. Great, great, great weekend. Unfor- unfortunate to see uh, Christian Pulisic uh, do his hamstringing like he, uh, like he did. But at the same time, it won us a trophy. So, you know what? I'll take it. Um, I'll have the opportunity to incite some, uh, some other fans right now. Uh, Jurgen Klopp didn't win, a, didn't win a trophy in his first season at Liverpool. Uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has not won a trophy yet for Manchester United. Frank Lampard is a championship manager who has no place managing Chelsea Football Club, and he will be out next year when Chelsea don't qualify for the top four. Spurs are Spurs. They don't even, they don't even belong in this conversation since they're not a big club. And then there is the Arsenal, kings of the FA Cup. Don't talk to us what we do in the league or Europe. We just win the FA Cup all the time. Yep. Well, at least you got one thing. And Man City just buy, just buy their titles. That too. Like other teams don't spend money. My club doesn't. We do it the right way. We had we had young players. We had I'm academy. Sorry, we had academy Pepe players. I'm sorry. Nicholas Pepe, Pereira, eighty million that we're paying in installments. Yes, eighty million that we're paying in installments. And he and I tell I tell you what, right now the Chelsea the Chelsea defenders they were self isolating from Nicola Pepe. They didn't want to get embarrassed by my man, by my man, Nicola Pepe. They were making sure they didn't catch coronavirus from Nicola Pepe. They backed off him. They didn't want to be embarrassed. He was dribbling past everybody. That's my, that's my man. All right. So wonderful. Wonderful. Great result up the arsenal. Talk about American football for a second here. And, uh, I mean, thankfully, Arsenal is going to have a lot, to, a lot of resting up to do for the next Premier League season because, you know, the European dreams are, are gone. No, we're in Europe. No, well, we're in Europe. this season. No, we're in Europe. This season. Yeah, we're in Europe. We won the FA Cup. We're in no, Europe. I mean, no, I mean, the, the, Europe, the Europa League tournament that they're doing. Oh, okay. That, that just went, that just went, woo. Yeah. Well, we, we get to play a community shield in, uh, in four weeks. Yep. Against Liverpool. And that's probably going to be fringe players and the kids for both sides. Probably. Unless, unless we, uh, we're bringing in players by then. But appara- apparently, my man, uh, Mikel Artecas, is, uh, they're, close to agree- they're close to agreeing in contract with Willian, which, sure, I guess. Uh, they want to bring in Coutinho, and they're still looking to bring in uh, Thomas Partey and a center back. So we'll see. Maybe maybe Flip Coutinho makes his uh, return to the oh uh, Premier League and lights it up, lights it up with Arsenal, much to the delight of all the uh, Liverpool fans. That would that would make my heart so happy. Yeah. Anyway, so we got some news and notes to talk about. How are you, Adam? How was your weekend? It was good. I mean, good. aside from I'm the glad. fact that uh, you know the Rangers are down to yeah 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 yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I yep. was looking to avoid that conversation. 
And yeah, but other, I mean, otherwise it was pretty good. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. Um, yeah. So news and notes. I mean, the big thing, this is another kind of downer to my weekend is that there were more opt-outs for football. And one of the big ones was CJ Mosley, whose contract is looking worse and worse by the year because he was injured out all season last year and has now opted out this season because he has a son and he doesn't want to like a young son and he doesn't want to, um, you know, put him at risk, put him and his family at risk if he, God forbid, catches the coronavirus. So, yeah. And then the Jets also released Quincy Nguyen Bryant and Brian Winters, which are two kind of like, I mean. Who subsequently signed with the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. Brian Winters. Wonderful. Yeah, and more offensive line help for uh, for Buffalo. Now, it's, it's, it's a very sensible decision by, uh, by C.J. Mosley, obviously, with his uh, – with his young child. Um, I think that's what any parent would do. Marquise Goodwin did the same thing with, uh, with the Eagles when he opted out. Um, you know, it, it, it's something that I think any, any parent would, would do to protect their, their children, you know, and their family. Yeah. And yeah. But if you look at it from a football sense, I mean, um, I had a conversation with somebody last night when they asked, uh, is there even a shot that CJ Mosley plays two games for the New York Jets? Well, he actually has played two games for the Jets. Okay, will he play three? <laughs> Probably not, no. <sighs> yeah, it's uh, the, the contract is looking worse and worse. Well, I think that at least this time it wasn't really like it wasn't injuries. Like this was, no. a, this was a, a solid, this was a noble, like a, a, an agreeable decision. Like yeah. I would, I'm not, even as a Jets fan, I wouldn't, I'm not going to like, be angry that he's not going to play this season, but no. And, and that's, that's, yeah. that's the thing. If you're a fan of any team, I know that uh, we were talking about in the last episode, Jamizi Olawale fullback for the Dallas Cowboys. Cause fullback fullbacks are people too. And uh, he opted out as yeah. well. And I think, I think when it comes down to it, whether it's, whether it's as big of a player as Patrick Mahomes or whether it's a small players, Jamizi Olawale, even though fullbacks are people too, you, you, you got to respect the decisions that these players are going to end up making for the sake of themselves, for the sake of their families. It, you know, you, you can't, you can't hate on them, you know, whether it's from a, um, a team sense or whether it's a uh, personal fantasy football sense, you know, Oh, I can't, uh, Oh, I can't take uh Jamezi Ola wallet this year. Yeah. You know, it's, it's selfish. It's, it's just selfish reasoning if you're going to go after a player who's just trying to protect themselves or their family. And, uh, yeah, just hopefully CJ Mosley stays safe. Hopefully Jamezi Olawale stays safe. And um, we'll get to see them uh, next season when things are uh, a bit more tidy. Yeah, hopefully. So. Hopefully, hopefully. Hopefully back to normal. But w- what is normal anymore? I, d- I don't know. But uh, million-dollar million dollar question on casting. What, what is normal? Como se dice, normal. Beats me. Beats me. <laughs> me too. Yeah. Uh, well, there were some other uh, f- opt-outs as well. Um, Matt Lacoste joining the ever-growing list of New England Patriots. Who It's part are- of Bill Belichick's grandmaster plan. I, think, I actually think Bill Belichick, it's, it wasn't China. It was actually Bill Belichick that made the coronavirus. Oh, my God. I, you know so what? He can get, just so he can get Trevor Lawrence. Wouldn't put it past him. Jesus. Jesus. 
just so just so he can get Trevor Lawrence. He's in a fucking uh, on. He's in like a Resident Evil underground laboratory, below a mansion, making how, tyrants. How much you want to bet that Bill Belichick is probably calling all his players saying, "Yeah, yeah, we don't we don't need you for this year. We're just uh, we're just getting ready for Cincinnati." Yep, we're tanking. Don't don't show up. Hangs we're up tanking. the phone. Don't show up, but. We're getting ready for Cincinnati. Cincinnati. And then uh, anybody else that you're thinking of that um, uh, opt out, opted out? Well, Gardner, Gardner Minshew was on the COVID list and then was taken off the COVID list. Uh, Matt Stafford is on the COVID list. He joins uh, Kenny Galladay and TJ Hawkinson as the notable Detroit Lions that are on the, uh, the COVID list, meaning that he has either tested positive for uh, COVID-19 or – he has been in close contact with somebody who has tested positive for COVID-19. So obviously wishing the best for uh, Matt Stafford, Kenny Galladay, TJ Hawkinson. I'm not doing anything with uh, TJ Hawkinson, Kenny Galladay, or Matt Stafford right now in terms of my rankings. I'm keeping them as is. Uh, but as we get closer to the start of the season, if they are still on the list, then yeah, that's obviously going to have to change. And then of course, uh, Doug Peterson yeah. tested positive for uh, COVID-19. And of course, wishing, Wishing him all the best. Yep, he's the second head coach to yep. test positive. After Sean Payton. Yep. That seems like it was so long ago that Sean Payton tested positive. It, I believe he was one of the first. Like yeah. in in major American sports, I, he was one of the first that yeah. I can remember. After, of course, the initial shock and awe of uh, Rudy Gobert. And Donovan Mitchell, yeah. exactly. And Donovan Mitchell, yeah, right. So that actually leads into a different sort of thing where the Saints, there's kind of like a story coming out that the Saints are trying to create their own bubble as far like hotel bubble in New Orleans, which is good. That's smart. Because I think, the, like, obviously, you don't want to wish any coach to get this because especially with how – much older coaches are than the players and things like that. But I think the coaches that had experiences with the coronavirus can actually like Sean Payton and now Doug Peterson can be like, can really say, I'm speaking from experience here. Don't fuck with this. You need to be smart. Don't go out. If you don't have to wear a mask, stay safe. Like they, they can speak from personal experience and that will, help the team but honestly you don't want the you don't want the cost to be having more and more cases of coronavirus because that because i mean obviously nobody wants that and i i think that they they see what we all see i know you've been a big component a big proponent of this uh adam when we've seen what's going on with major league baseball and how major league baseball is basically on a on the precipice of their season being done, done and doomed. But then you look at the NBA, you look at the NHL so far, and you look at MLS and what they've done with their respective bubbles, and they've had no problems. Yeah. They've had zero issue. It's just been Major League Baseball. So, yeah, if the NFL is learning is learning from this, I, I agree with you 100%. I think that each team should be responsible for setting up their own personal bubbles within their respective cities. Obviously, yeah, 
uh, flights and, and things like that, getting to and from games is going to be um, an issue. But I think for, for now, with how much money these teams have and the owners that they have and their deep pockets, um, that really shouldn't be much of an issue. But in any event, you know, it comes down to player safety. Player safety should be the number one priority. And as far as I know, uh, the, the list of do's and don'ts that came out as part of the revised CBA um, basically had said that any player who's out and about without wearing a mask or is around others that aren't wearing a mask is um, up, is up to be fined and or suspended. So obviously that is a, um, it's a good way for, for the NFL to, to at least try, try and, and keep this, keep this together, you know? And um, I think one, when one of the things that uh, they said is a, uh, is not a high risk activity is, and I know it's a big thing for some of these, uh, these players is going to church. So yeah. Well, here's a, the thing. I think thing. the basically what the NFL is doing and what baseball is doing, it's like trying to win a speed, a motorboat race in a canoe where, oh yeah, we'll make do with this canoe. We can, we can do just as well as a speedboat with a canoe, or you could just use a speedboat and you could just be in a bubble, which has proven to work not only in America, but in uh, Europe and Asia with, uh, with their uh, soccer leagues. So are they in a bubble in the Premier League though? I, think, I don't know if they were in a bubble. No, they're they not were in a bubble. In, oh, they're not in a bubble? Well, no, it's just every, every other country in the face of the earth is just doing a better job. At well, that too. Handling, well, Germany was in a bubble. The Ger- Germany was in a bubble though. Yeah, Germany was. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's just that with how horribly America is handling the virus and many, many people are at fault for that. Yeah. Including, many. including the general public. Yeah. And the fact that uh, baseball is falling apart at the seams with team with um, players on teams and staff testing positive Marlins Cardinals. Yeah. Phillies earlier this week or earlier yep. last week. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that football, it's so much more, it's so much easier to transmit something like COVID-19. It's the biggest contact sport there is. And they're not going to have a bubble. They're not going to have a hub city. It just, I think I agree with Odell Beckham Jr. here in saying that the season should be canceled. I'm not on board with that yet. Unless, I think if the season isn't in a bubble... I think they shouldn't have a season. Yeah, because I'm not. I'm not. On, I'm not on board with that yet. Effectively, Obviously, that's what they're if, doing. They're like, if the the season, the days of the season are numbered. If they're not, if they're not gonna, it's only a matter of time. If they're just gonna continue with what their process is, and make believe that everything is gonna be fine. If conditions get worse, then yes. But if they are the way that they are right now, and there is a, and there is a continued plan to how the NFL is going to go about this, um, then I think the NFL will be fine. But really, it's going to come down to um, when training camps really get up and running and and there are players that are practicing and drilling within each other and are you know not able to maintain some level of social distancing or, or whatever, then that's going to be the real test. That's going to be the real test. 
Yeah. That, I mean, it will be, but who knows? It's the only time will tell. But if, like I said, if it's anything like what's going on in baseball and it, if it's anything like it's going on in baseball, then I don't have too much confidence in what's going on with the season. And I think it's good that I think it was either last episode or two episodes ago that you talked about having a contingency plan for your fan, like fantasy football commissioners having a contingency plan for what would happen if the season is uh, canceled or paused. Have to have one. And I mean, now more than ever, if you just be on top of what, of what's going on in the country, as far as the, uh, coronavirus is concerned well anybody anybody who doesn't know what's going on in the united states of america when it comes to the coronavirus clearly is living under a fucking rock yes it's true it's very true and and we're only encompassed by it in in our everyday existences (laughs) so yes i mean yeah it's it's just a terrible terrible thing and you you have to be prepared for it. That's it. Because call me cynical, but I don't, I doubt, I don't think that the NFL is going to have a full season. If there's no vaccine by January, I don't think they're going to have playoffs either. I would, I would say that's a safe bet that if there is no uh, health breakthroughs when it comes to the, the coronavirus and some sort of, vaccination or whatever that people can availably come and take if they do choose to do so. Um, then yeah, I would say that the season is, uh, I, I don't want to say toast, but I would say that there are going to be major, major, major complications when it comes to potentially trying to complete a season. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing that has drained my faith in humanity quicker than this pandemic. And I would, I would agree. I mean, before I I didn't have too much faith in people doing the right thing. Now, but now I know that like now it's like the the criminal, evil underbelly of America is exposed to everybody. I see. I don't. I don't even think it's that. I just think that there's just so much selfishness and like I don't even know selfishness is the word. I think it's more FOMO. I, I, I guess that, oh, two people need to hang out, then it's five people need to hang out, and then it's 10 people, then it's 15, because everyone in their ADD is just so, you know, it's just so freaking crazy right now that everyone has to be doing something at all times, well, needs to be with yeah. people at all times. And every other every other country in the world and i don't want to get too political about this and we have to do have to continue uh we have to talk about jordan reed and we have to go talk about the fc north but every other country in the world was able to stay apart was able to abide by what their governments were telling them to do and trusted in their own respective health systems that were telling them stay in Wear a mask, self-isolate, self-quarantine if you need to, and don't see people. Yeah. Don't see people. We were good about it until the summer came around, until the weather got warmer. Well, that's it. That's it. Is is the way that 
America goes about is, and this isn't just down to one, if you're affiliated with one political party or the other, it's both sides. It's both sides, no doubt about it, is when the weather turned and it became nice out, everyone just decided, oh, okay, coronavirus is done. I'm, I'm done. going outside. I'm going out. I'm going to, I'm going to go to a party. I'm going to go hang with my friends. I'm going to drink. I'm going to be stupid like the world is normal. Yep. And that's, and, and well, that's, that's, that's disgusting. Yeah. That's disgusting. I'm sorry. Just blatant disregard for facts. I couldn't science. agree more. I couldn't agree more. And then, it's, 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 yeah. it's disgusting. And we, we are, we are the black eye of the world when it comes to dealing with this pandemic. And it's, it, you could blame countless people, but at the, at the end of the day, it comes down to the general public that refused to listen. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Harsh, but, maybe. Harsh, maybe. I don't think but, it's harsh. Probably not harsh enough, honestly. Because oh, okay, fact, good. Because the people that aren't do it, they're like disregarding the truth, disregarding these people's like years of uh, scientific rigor, training, years of work in field work in medicine, and they're going to believe some hippy dippy guy that they read that they follow on the internet and says that if you rub some leaves on yourself, then you get cured of coronavirus. Then, honestly, they deserve what's coming to them. If that if that's what if that's the case, I'll end it. I'll end it with this. I doubt at the parties that these people are going to. I highly doubt they're all wearing masks. No. Just saying. I mean, you know, I've been looking through Instagram, and you know, you see a lot of people having having parties, not wearing masks, going out to to vineyards and stuff. It's so. shocking. It's it, it's. It's shocking, but at the, at the end of the day, people can choose what they want to do, I, I guess. And, you know, if they get it, they'll learn the hard way. You know what? I wouldn't be shocked. I'm actually, so I'm going into WFAN for work on Saturday. And I wouldn't be shocked if I'm coming home at midnight when I'm done and I'm going to see a bunch of people at, at Penn Station like I normally do. I wouldn't be surprised. Pizza. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, back to wherever they are in Long Island. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked. But thank you to, uh, to everyone who is uh, being responsible. And uh, thank you, of course, to our uh, frontline workers and our essential working staff as well. That, yeah. of course, needs to, uh, needs to be said. Yep, exactly. So the other big news, besides the fact that you had a bunch of opt-outs, uh, players on the COVID list and the fact that the opt-out And the American public being stupid, yes. Yes, that too. And Breaking the, news, coming at you live. Right. And the fact that the uh, opt-out deadline is now this Thursday, it's been moved to. And that's the, that's the official sort of day for that. It's Thursday for, for players to opt-out. That's the deadline. Thursday, 4 p.m., yes. Yep. Everything in the NFL is at 4 p.m. Of course. League year starts at 4 p.m. Trade deadline ends at 4 p.m. Opt-out deadline ends at 4 p.m. Anyway. Um, it's, because yeah. it's, the, it's the end of the workday for the NFL offices in New York. Well, technically 5 p.m. Is the, should be the end of the workday. Well, the NFL marches to the tune of its own drum. I guess they say, four, they say 4 o'clock. It's 4 o'clock. Whatever. Anyway. Uh, Roger Goodell the, needs to get home in time for uh, 5 o'clock tea. Oh, God. In the basement. In yeah. the basement, of course. It's a nice basement, I'll be honest. Very, very nice basement. 
But the other big news is that Jordan Reed, the oft-injured tight end who used to play for the Washington football team, has signed with the San Francisco 49ers to be the backup for George Kittle. And frankly, this is actually a good role for Jordan Reed because he won't have as much of a chance to get injured and be out for the season within the first couple of games. And frankly, even without his injury history, I don't know if he's like a starting caliber tight end in the NFL anymore. It is an incentive-laden deal. So it obviously is going to hinge on appearances and performance-related bonuses. So it's it's a very low-risk sort of deal for the 49ers. And, you know, if you're San Francisco, you're bringing in a guy that Kyle Shanahan is very familiar with given their time working together in Washington. Yeah, you have George, you have George Kittle there. But, I mean, outside of that, you know, you really just don't have – a whole hell of a lot. You, the only really guy you had there was Ross Dwelly. And then outside of that, you had really nothing. So if God forbid something does happen to George Kittle, you have two guys that can really step up and, uh, and be the answer for the Redskins tight end, you know, if they need a replacement. And we've seen Jordan Reed be very good in the past. The question with him has always just been health. Always. Yeah. It's never been an issue of talent. It's always been an issue of health. So if, they're bringing him in in a low-risk sort of deal where you play 16 games, you can make you know your max salary. If you don't, you walk away with min salary, something along those lines. It's fine. Uh, I'm not really interested in Jordan Reed in any fantasy circle. Um, but you know, if anything does happen to uh, to George Kittle, Jordan Reed could be a uh, potential fill-in option, and maybe some would even say a low-end uh, tight end one. If uh, if George Kittle is out for an extended period of time for whatever reason, yeah, yep, exactly, exactly. So today we're talking about the AFC North and our a continuation of our long running series where we preview every single division in the NFL from a fantasy perspective. As I just said five seconds ago, today we're talking about the AFC North, and later in the week we will be talking about the NFC North. And then so, next week, we'll be wrapping it up by discussing the NFC West and the AFC West. Fun stuff. So let's start off. And then after that, and after that, who the fuck knows fuck what all. we do? We did Fuck all. I don't know. We'll figure it out because we, we are we are radio professionals. Who have done this before. We are radio professionals who have done this before. Mm-hmm. So let's start off alphabetically as usual with the Baltimore Ravens. And in one of the easiest segments that we have done, basically it's one sentence, this, this whole thing. It's Lamar Jackson is great, comma, you should draft him, period. That's it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he is my number two quarterback. Obviously, we don't need to talk about what Lamar Jackson did last year. If you don't know what Lamar Jackson did, you are living under a rock. Welcome to the world of football. Welcome to the world of football. Yes. Broke Michael Vick's uh, single season rushing record for a quarterback with just over 1200 yards rushing. Also had seven touchdowns to boot um, and then had 36 passing touchdowns. So overall 43 total touchdowns for Lamar Jackson. Uh, I would expect him to, be nothing short of what he was last year. His numbers that I have down for him, the only thing that I've really knocked down a bit was I had him down for 3,400 passing yards, which is an uptick 
in his yardage from last year where he threw for 3,127 passing yards and had a completion percentage of just over 66. I have him down for 3,462 passing yards with 30 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. And then this is where I think everyone is really interested when it comes to Lamar Jackson is what are the rushing numbers going to look like? I have him just shade lower than what he was last year. Obviously I'm not going to project Lamar Jackson to rush for 1200 yards again, because that's just ludicrous. And I think anybody who would project that is setting themselves up for failure. So I have him down. I have him, I have him going for less attempts. He had 176 carries last year that he took from himself. Uh, I have him down for 163. So I, I took 16 or so uh, rushes away from Lamar Jackson, and which really it really equates to about 976 rushing yards. And I gave him six touchdowns again. So seven to six, you know, you're basically getting the same guy. So the passing touchdowns come down a little bit. The rushing touchdowns come by one. The passing yards go up. The rushing yards come down. So overall, you're you're basically you're getting a guy that is going to return value for you that you're taking as the QB two, or in some cases that you're taking as the QB one. So um, I'm a big fan of of Lamar Jackson. Obviously, you know if you if you're not, then I think there's something seriously wrong that you need to get checked out. Uh, but the real question is, you know, are you going to take Lamar Jackson in the third round where he's going? And that's a question that I think a lot of uh, a lot of fantasy owners are going to have to go ahead and answer. And for me, I think everyone who has listened to this show, who has listened to the Required Radio Fantasy Show, will know. And that is that I'm just not a huge fan of going limb over limb to take a top tier quarterback when I just get one in the 10th round who can provide top 10 upside. And that's that. So yeah, it, it really just comes down to your overall fantasy football philosophy. And if you, uh, if you feel like going ahead and wanting to take, um, wanting to take Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes, any one of those, uh, those top two guys. So, uh, but if you, if you are going to go that route, there's nothing wrong with it, but just be aware that there's probably going to be a hole somewhere else in in, one, in your team if yep. you do go ahead and do that. Well, just going by the quarterbacks that we've previously talked about, there are quarterbacks in later rounds that you can have a great you can have great other positions on your team and also have like a solid quarterback option for you. Players like Dak Prescott, for example, or uh, Josh Allen or Cam Newton, Deshaun Kyler Watson, Murray. Kyler Murray. Well, we haven't talked about him yet. Oh, out of the guys that we've talked about, yes. Yeah, Drew Brees, yes. Matt out, Ryan. Out of the guys we've talked about. Drew Aaron, Brees, Matt Aaron. Ryan. Haven't talked about Aaron Rodgers yet either. Yeah. Um, trying to think of some of the guys that we've talked about. <laughs> uh, da, 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 da. Tom Brady. Yeah, Tom Brady. Well, I mean, we're gonna, later in this episode, we'll be talking about another one who could be – uh, in that same sort of category, and that's Ben Roethlisberger. We will be talking about Big Ben. Yes, we will. But right now we're moving on here to the running backs of the Baltimore Ravens. Before we move on to the running backs, just just really quick, yes. uh, Adam, mm-hmm. would you take Lamar Jackson in the third round? No. Okay. It's a hard no. Okay. 
I like Lamar Jackson. I, I'd be stupid not to like Lamar Jackson because he's a great player. But I think that I'd rather have either a running back if I went right wide receiver in the second round or like a top wide receiver if I went running back for the first two rounds. It's like one of those things where Fair. I'm not – Yeah, I'm not – because, you, you know, you only have one quarterback. So it's better to have two great running backs than one – than the best quarterback as far as fantasy point – as far as fantasy points are concerned because those two running backs combined, if they're really good, they'll get you more fantasy points than the one, than the one quarterback. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. So, speaking of running backs, like I just said, moving on to the Baltimore Ravens running backs, uh, Mark Ingram II followed up a, uh, a good year in New Orleans with a great year in Baltimore in 2019. Uh, there are some other running backs, you know, in, the, in that room. You have J.K. Dobbins, who the uh, Ravens got out of Ohio State. Oh, Yep, I.O. There's also uh, Gus Edwards, who in 2018, Bird and I were actually pretty high on, who was basically like the starting running back for the Ravens two years ago or three years ago. Gus Boss. And uh, Justice Hill. Phenomenal name. And that rounds out the running back room for uh, Baltimore. So what do you think about these, these players here? Um, so I'm not really interested in Gus Edwards. I'm not really interested in, in Justice Hill all that much. For me, the two guys that I really want to highlight – are J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram. I'll start with uh, with J.K. Dobbins, and of course was taken in the second round by the Baltimore Ravens. What do I expect out of him? I think this is going to be more of a committee than people really think. I've actually taken J.K. Dobbins, and I've brought him up pretty highly in my rankings. I have him as my RB29, whereas Mark Ingram I have as my RB21. So they are getting much, much closer in terms of where I have them in my overall rankings. As for J.K. Dobbins, one thing that he does really well is he is just explosive. And when it comes down to the Baltimore Ravens, what they want to do with their overall runners in terms of Lamar Jackson, in terms of J.K. Dobbins, in terms of Hollywood Brown, they want to be a home run hitting, high-powered, fast offense. That's what Baltimore wants to be. And J.K. Dobbins, for me, he is more that guy than Mark Ingram is. I think he's more that guy than Mark Ingram ever was. I think Mark Ingram is a completely different style of running back. He's more of like that power back, whereas J.K. Dobbins, I think, is more of an elusive back. I think J.K. Dobbins can make those shifting moves. I think J.K. Dobbins is, is quicker than Mark Ingram is. I mean, if you, if you grant you know where they are in their careers – Mark Ingram getting closer to uh, being 30 years old. J.K. Dobbins just turned 21. You know, I think J.K. Dobbins really has a bright, bright future in the National Football League. And I have him playing a pretty decent-sized role considering he is a rookie, considering there is going to be a learning curve given there's no preseason. He's going to jump right into the deep end week one. I have him down for around 130 carries, for 602 yards with five touchdowns. And then I have him coming down with 25 catches for a buck 63 and two receiving touchdowns. So overall, I have him down for eight total touchdowns. J.K. Dobbins, I think if, if, you're, if you're taking Mark Ingram, 
you better make sure you get J.K. Dobbins. You, you, you need to make that a priority. That's bottom line. You need to make sure that happens. Whereas on the flip, if you are going to take J.K. Dobbins late and you believe in him, I don't think you need Mark Ingram to return value. I don't think that the Baltimore backfield is going to be something where there are a lot of questions involved. I think that you know what Ingram's going to get. You know what J.K. Dobbins is going to get. J.K. Dobbins is going to get every opportunity to really put his blueprint down on this offense and show why the Ravens took him in the second round. And, I I mean, I like J.K. Dobbins. He's going right now in the 11th round. I think that's really, really good value for a guy that I have, like I said, my RB29. So I would take that all day long. As for Mr. Mark Ingram, and this is a guy that fantasy owners, of course, know very, very, very well, given his time in New Orleans and now what he was able to do last season with the Baltimore Ravens, just turned 30 years old. Last year was pretty productive, I would say. Had 202 carries for just over 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns. Obviously, the the overall rushing attack, whether it was Lamar, Lamar Jackson or Mark Ingram, definitely helped Mark Ingram get those 10 touchdowns. So what do I see out of him for this upcoming season? I have him down... I don't think he's going to be a thousand yard rusher again. Of course, given J.K. Dobbins is there, that definitely does hurt Mark Ingram a little bit. I have him down for around 845 rushing yards with seven touchdowns. And I have him reeling in about 28 catches for 207 receiving yards and one receiving touchdown. So overall, I think, I think either one of these, these backs here in Baltimore, whether it's Mark Ingram or J.K. Dobbins, have the opportunity to provide some real decent value. And I mean, people, some people are afraid of Mark Ingram because of, you know, 30, you know, that's where we hit the dead end for, uh, for running backs. But, you know, I, I think in the fifth round where Mark Ingram was going, I think that's, it's fine for him. I, I really do. And you, and you're really, you're taking the running back, at least the starter for right now from the best offense potentially, at least the most high-powered offense in football. So um, I, I think Mark Ingram, he's safe. I don't know what his ceiling really is going to be, but I can tell you right now, he's very, very safe. Yep, yep, definitely. And honestly, I think that, yeah, I agree with you that J.K. Dobbins is going to take some usage out of away from Mark Ingram. I mean – you don't draft a running back in the second round to just not use him. And with Mark Ingram getting up there in age, I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the season, there's more of an equal timeshare between uh, JK Dobbins and Mark Ingram, as far as carries are concerned. So yeah, it's worth, worth looking at. Uh, yeah. I, I think at the end of the day, there's a, there's a possibility that JK Dobbins and Mark Ingram could be potentially equal at the end of the season. If there is end of the season, um, so, I mean, like I said, if you're taking Mark Ingram, I, I think you need to make sure you, you get your hands on JK Dobbins. I think you need to make sure you're going two rounds higher than what his ADP might suggest. And you need to make sure that you get yourself JK Dobbins, knowing that you have the Baltimore backfield on lock. Where if you're taking JK Dobbins, I don't think you need to have Mark Ingram in order to do it. I think J.K. Dobbins has the opportunity to provide standalone value 
Whereas Mark Ingram, yeah, he does, but he's also an aging veteran who has a hot rookie on his tail. And if something does happen to Mark Ingram, next guy up is J.K. Dobbins. So if you want to have that Baltimore backfield pretty much on lock, take that Mark Ingram, J.K. Dobbins stack, get the handcuff down, and you'll be fine. Yep. All right, moving on to wide receiver. So Marquise Hollywood Brown was definitely one of those guys that had a fair amount of of flashy plays over his rookie campaign. And still, even with all those flashy plays, he only got 584 yards in this uh, last season. Crazy. Absolutely craziness. But, you know, the Ravens' offense is very run-dependent with its quarterback and with its running backs. So I don't – I don't know – I think that uh, Hollywood Brown, he has to get more than 584 yards next season. Like that, that has to have some positive regression there. But, um, you know, if, I don't know. The touchdown numbers, though, I don't know. I think you might have some negative regression with those. See, I think it also comes down to, you know, Hollywood Brown was a rookie played in 14 games. I mean, the 584 is not a terrible number. It had 71 targets as well. The seven touchdowns. I actually think the seven touchdowns is a good number for him. I have him down at seven, but the number that I do have going up are the targets and the receptions. I have him down for over a hundred targets and I have him down for 68 receptions. I, I love Hollywood Brown this year. I have him down right now as my wide receiver 30 with the growth for potentially more. I'm very tempted to put him closer to wide receiver two territory and really bump him up to being a high-level wide receiver three. So I have him down for 67 receptions, like I said, and then I have him down for 858 yards and seven touchdowns. I think it's a very, very fair number for him. Uh, I think if there is one receiver in Baltimore that's going to break out, it is, it is Marquise Brown. I don't think Miles Boykin is going to be that guy at all. Uh, so if there's one receiver that I'm really looking at in Baltimore, it's, it's got to be uh, Marquise Hollywood Brown. Yep, exactly. I mean, the other wide receivers aren't really worth talking about, like Devin DuVernay and Willie Sneed, the fourth. So let's move and on. And Miles Boykin. And Miles Boykin, of course. So let's move on to Mark Andrews tight end and the rest of the tight ends, but mainly, you know, Mark Andrews. Because Mark it's Andrews, Mark Andrews and everybody else. It's Mark Andrews because as we talked about last episode, Hayden Hurst is now on the Atlanta Falcons. So Mark Andrews is the guy here. And people are drafting him as the fourth tight end overall behind uh, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, and Zach Ertz. So with, you know, you look at young quarterbacks and how much they love throwing to tight ends. And Lamar Jackson, you forget that he's still in his – he's only in his third year. And he loved throwing to his tight ends. And John Harbaugh loved using the tight ends in, in the offense in 2019. So I think that we're in for another good season for uh, Mark Andrews here. 
even without the cover of Hayden Hurst. He is no doubt the apple of Lamar Jackson's eye. I think that that is very much confirmed. Has the seventh easiest strength of schedule for tight ends. So that obviously is something that I think fantasy owners could be very interested in in knowing when it comes to drafting Mark Andrews. Had 98 targets last year, a huge bump from his rookie year 2018 when he had just 50 targets. So obviously Lamar Jackson loves Mark Andrews, and I think that the success is really going to keep on uh, coming for Mark Andrews. I have him down for about 66 receptions, so a slight uptick from what he got last year. Had 64 last year for around 850 receiving yards so hit 852 last year i have him right there again and i have him down for nine touchdowns so basically i'm projecting the same exact numbers from last year for mark andrews this year just one less touchdown listen i take that in a heartbeat i would be fine with that if i'm taking mark andrews where people are taking mark andrews i'll take it yeah i would i would say so he's my he's my tight end four right now yeah he is the he's the best of the best after Ertz, Kittle, Kelsey. Oh, he gets best of the rest then. After the upper echelon of He's the best he's the best of the best of the rest. Now you're just making it more confusing unnecessarily. He's the best of the rest after Ertz, Kittle, Kelsey. Okay. All right. So moving on alphabetically to the Cincinnati Bengals on T. Basically moving to a team on the complete opposite end of the spectrum of the Baltimore Ravens. And starting off with their highly touted first overall rookie quarterback, Joseph Burrow, out of LSU. Joe. Joe. What a guy. Ohio native, Joe Burrow. OH. Yeah. Well, he only he was only there for like a season or two. OH. Anyway, so uh yeah, Joe Burrow is expected to start. Obviously, Andy Dalton is no longer there. There was no competition for him as far as the starting quarterback job. Who? Who? who who's that? Who's that guy? Exactly. That guy? Yeah. Never heard of him. Your backup quarterback? Never heard of him. Yeah. You hear, you hear about him when Dak Prescott, if Dak Prescott gets injured. Are you wishing bad juju on my Dakota rain? I didn't say when. I said if. You're wishing bad juju on him. No. I, I No. 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 I'm not. Adam, you're canceled. Cancel cultures. Cancel culture has uh, has penetrated the uh, the basic talk podcast fantasy show. You are you are canceled. Whatever. Anyway, this is actually kind of interesting because we really we've gotten to our first rookie quarterback in this draft class. The only rookie quarterback is going to start right away. Yeah, definitely. Well, actually, I mean. The only rookie quarterback that's going to start right away, yes, because we did talk about Tua Tagovailoa, who has been cleared to play, which is uh, something that came out after we talked about the AFC East. But uh, Joe Burrow, in ever so in yeah. ever so convenient fashion, right? Oh, every time, but every time. Anyway, Joe Burrow, I think what we've been saying about rookies and the fact that they're going to be even more behind the behind the eight ball than usual is definitely going to apply. If not even more, if not even more so to quarterbacks, because Joe Burrow, rookie quarterbacks, already the learning curve is steep 
for them. But now that there's no preseason, limited training camps, you never know what's going on with that. It's going to be – I think it's going to be a slow start for Joe Burrow. See, here's my thing with, with Joe Burrow. I think that he's fine for anybody that's looking for someone with a potentially very high ceiling in year one because, yes, Joe Burrow is freakishly talented. I mean, there, there's no denying that. And I think if you're, if you're in a deep keeper league – where you're looking to stash two quarterbacks like I am looking to do this year, like I've said on this show, I think a couple times now, I'm taking two quarterbacks everywhere in every single league, regardless of whether I have Mahomes or whether I have Ryan Tannehill. You know, it doesn't matter. I am taking two quarterbacks and making sure that I have the position completely covered if, God forbid, something were to happen. And I think in a keeper league, Joe Burrow is – definitely going to be taken i mean there's no doubt about that and i think even in a simple redraft league i think joe burrow there's there's a there's a case to be made that joe burrow could end up being taken i really do i think people uh see the high power offense that he is potentially uh walking into uh the Bengals are getting back their first round pick from last year john williams that's something that they could add to their growing offensive line. You have A.J. Green there. You have Tyler Boyd there. You have John Ross as well. All those three guys we'll be talking about in a minute. And then, of course, you have my son, Joe Mixon, who we'll be talking about in a minute as well. So Joe Burrow has plenty, plenty of offensive weapons in Cincinnati that he can get the best out of. And I think that that spells some good news for for Joe Burrow. But again, Adam, is you've made your point, and I couldn't agree more. The learning curve is going to be steep for Joe Burrow. He's going to make mistakes. It's not going to be a pretty first season in the National Football League, and it really is going to come down to how patient you want to be with Joe Burrow. And, you know, I think if you're taking him, you're going to have to be patient. You know, he's not going to be a guy that you're going to go ahead and start every single week. He is not a guy that you are going to just own and ride with. You need to couple him with somebody, and if he breaks out and you're one, then he turns into your guy. But if he doesn't, you have him. If you're in a keeper league, you keep him. If you're not in a keeper league, you cut him. And, and, and that's just sort of that. I have him down right now as my QB 20. So he basically is – he's a borderline draft sort of guy. I can understand, you know, again, like I said, the upside with Joe Burrow is 100% there. So at the, at the end of the day, I think, uh, you know, if you're talking 26 touchdowns, to 14 interceptions for Joe Burrow, you know, you're talking about a QB2, which is fine. You know, it's what you're uh, what you're really looking for. It's what you're uh, paying to draft Joe Burrow at, and you're going to get what you're, you're going to draft. So I think Joe Burrow is relatively safe. Like I said, the ceiling is particularly high. And, you know, I, th- I think at the end of the day, Joe Burrow will be fine. Yep, I agree. But in a keeper in a keeper league, he absolutely one hundred percent should be drafted. One hundred percent. Yeah. Well, especially since in those leagues you're gonna be doing rookie drafts. A lot of those. Well, in, in, Dy- in dynasty, yeah. Yes. In in key in keeper, you know, you just do you just do your regular draft. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You just do your regular draft. So, uh, if you know what if the double digit rounds come along and there's nobody else there, you take Joe Burrow, take him, stash him, and that's that. 
Yes, exactly. Uh, the other thing that kind of applies to uh, Joe Mixon, who we're going to be talking about in, in about a second. My son? Yeah, is that the Bengals' offensive line is going to be fucking atrocious. So, I don't know. That's really going to put Joe Burrow's rushing ability into the four. And, I mean, I don't know how much it's really going to affect Joe Mixon because he's able to do a lot more with with less over the years in Cincinnati. But, uh, yeah, that, I mean, it's worth monitoring the fact that the Bengals' offensive line is not good. And it might hinder the development or the passing ability of Joe Burrow. See, I think with Joe Mixon, what stands out to me is he is so safe. It's, it's ridiculous. Even with the lackluster offensive line that he has, he still was able to post a 1,000-yard season last year. He rushed for uh, 1,137 yards with five touchdowns. The number also that's very impressive to me is over the course of his NFL career, Joe Mixon has fumbled twice. Two times. That's it. In That's it. 44, in 44 games, Joe Mixon has fumbled twice. That's absurd. That just kind of, it goes to show you the kind of ball security that Joe Mixon has and what he really does work on. And, you know, you got to give him full credit to that. So, um, you know, what do I have for Joe Mixon this year? I have him being the kind of guy that he's always kind of been. I have him down for about 1,146 rushing yards with seven touchdowns. He had five last year, so I think that number does come up. The rushing yards basically stay the same. And then the receiving numbers is where Joe Mixon really does get his boost over some guys that are in his range in terms of that middle round two upper tier of round two is that he offers you the PPR upside. I have him down for 47 catches for 362 receiving yards and three receiving touchdowns. So at the end of the day, I'm talking Joe Mixon being a 10 total touchdown guy that you're getting in the middle of the second round. And if you're talking someone who is safe, someone who, yeah, he's going to be, he's going to burn you some weeks. No, no doubt about it, but someone that no doubt has the talent. Joe Mixon is the guy. Joe Mixon is the guy to go ahead and take in that middle of the second round. And I think the one thing that I definitely want to talk about when it comes to Joe Mixon, and I think that this, this is something that people need to understand, is I don't like the comparisons of Joe Mixon this year to what Clyde Edwards Hilaire was last year for LSU. The LSU Tigers offense was an anomaly that is one of if not the best college football offense of all time that offense broke every record known to mankind yep so i'm not i'm not going to come in and say that joe mixon is going to be just like clyde edwards alaire for joe burrow can he be an option like clyde edwards alaire was Absolutely. No questions asked. But the difference here is this is the NFL. Yeah. College, 
yeah, you're playing with some men, but you're playing with some with some boys too. The NFL, you're playing with men. You're going to go up against fucking Tennessee or Ole Miss. Exactly. 18-year-old kids? Nah. Nah. Nope. You're, going, you're going up against grown-ass men. So at the end of the day, I'm not going to sit here and say that Clyde Edwards-Alaire, you know, of last year is going to pop up in Joe Mixon. It's not going to happen. But if you're talking about a guy that, you know, I expect 1,500 yards from scrimmage and 10 touchdowns from, I think that's really good from Joe Mixon. And he is my son. I love him endlessly. I always will. And I cannot wait to have the opportunity to draft him this year because I will have that opportunity. And I can't wait to, I can't wait to have him. So my son, I'll see you very soon. Yes. Let's talk about the wide receivers. Uh, AJ Green has been missing in action since two years ago, basically. Since the dawn of the dinosaurs. It's just so weird. It's interesting that he, he's healthy now. And he's ready to be back with the Bengals. But the Bengals, you know, they have like a, like a sneaky, low-key, low solid wide receiver core with A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, and John Ross. And this is like a solid set of weapons for Joe Burrow. And, you know, A.J. Green was able to put up solid numbers with, with Andy Dalton at quarterback. Imagine having Joe Burrow at quarterback. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be a, a bit better for A.J. Green. But the real question mark here with A.J. Green, of course, is health. Yes. He just cannot stay healthy. It's like the past couple of years, barring the, the completely done-for 2019 season last year, you can guarantee that he's going to miss like three or four games with something, whether it be like a hamstring in- injury or a foot injury or a knee injury or a back injury or an arm, whatever, shoulder. I don't know. It's just it's something with A.J. Green. Three guarantees in life, Adam. Death taxes and A.J. Green missing time to do a knee injury or a leg injury of some some sort. Yep. That's right. His legs are made out of porcelain. (laughs) Yeah, you ain't kidding. Um, I don't really expect much from T. Higgins. I have him down for 31 catches for for 415 yards and three touchdowns. Again, the, um, the rookie adjustment period is going to happen, I think, that when one or both of John Ross and A.J. Green are no longer with the Bengals, potentially as soon as next offseason, that's when T. Higgins really is going to get his time to shine as he was arguably the best receiver last season for uh, the Clemson Tigers in their run to a national championship game when they, of course, got smacked around by LSU. I mean, who wouldn't? Um, So that brings us to John Ross. In a contract year, a lot of people were very, very hot on him heading into last season. And he he was all right, I would say. His the receiving numbers were up, his yards were way up, the targets were about the same, the receptions were up, but the touchdowns were down. He went from seven touchdowns in 2018 to three touchdowns in 2019 granted 
also playing five fewer games in 2019. So you could have made a case that John Ross was on his way to potentially having a very solid season in 2019 if he didn't get hurt. So where does that bring us to now with John Ross? The answer is nowhere for me. Um, I like him to a point. I just don't think that he is going to stay healthy. And that for me is a major problem. Um, if I'm if I'm projecting him for 16 games, I have him down for 45 receptions for 308 and 80 receiving yards. So not a lot there and three touchdowns for John Ross. So not, not a lot is really expected uh, out of him for a guy that I really thought would have a very productive NFL career. And it just really hasn't panned out for him in Cincinnati. But now let's go and talk about the top two dogs in this offense. And that is of course, Tyler Boyd and AJ green in, in this passing game, I really should say. So let's start with AJ green and everyone wants to know it's the million dollar question. What is AJ green going to do this year? And the, the simple answer is I have no fucking idea. I really don't have a clue what AJ Green is going to consist of. I mean, this is a guy that Adam, Adam, you know, is just as well as I do that AJ Green is the definition of unreliable. Yes, I do. It's just, I don't know. It's so, it's so puzzling because, you know, we're supposed to be the quote unquote experts of fantasy football and we have no idea what we're going to get out of AJ Green. Nobody does. No, nobody in this industry knows what AJ Green is going to do. And if they do, they're lying. If or they the claim travelers. that they did. Or they're time travelers, yes. If they claim that they know what AJ Green is going to be, they are liars. Because nobody knows. Nope, nobody does. So in a 16-game projection, mind you, I have him down for 76 catches for 1,018 receiving yards and seven touchdowns in a 16-game projection. Those numbers get him to be a wider, a low-end wide receiver, too. Do I think he gets that? No, because that requires A.J. Green playing 16 games, which I don't think is going to happen. Well, the interesting frankly. thing also is that A.J. Green, a lot of A.J. Green's value earlier in his career came from when he was the only guy in Cincinnati. And now he has, there are more, there's more competition for him. Yes. There are more players that are worthy of getting the ball other than AJ Green, like Tyler yes. Boyd, for example. Like, like Tyler Boyd. Very good transition, Adam. Look at you. Yes. Very, very, very good. So, Tyler Boyd, obviously, this is the guy that I think is the most reliable weapon. In the Cincinnati Bengals passing game, another 1,000-yard season for him last year, five touchdowns for him, 148 targets. So that's the number that I'm looking at if you're going between Andy Dalton and Ryan Finley. Those are, that's unbelievable usage that both Dalton and Finley really looked at Tyler Boyd to potentially provide some massive outlay in terms of receiving work. And I think it's really going to continue this year with 
Joe Burrow. And I have Tyler Boyd down for 80 receptions for 997 receiving yards. So I have him just under 1,000 yards with five touchdowns. Now, if A.J. Green misses time, Tyler Boyd is a guaranteed 1,000-yard receiver. Oh, yeah. Guaranteed. And I think he's he is the one guy every single year. I mean, I've never been a Tyler Boyd guy. But looking at his numbers, looking at what he does, he's, he's, he's so productive. I know. He's so productive. And that was with Andy Dalton as his quarterback, the worst quarterback of the National Football League, not named Marcus Mariota, Andy Dalton. I know. So Andy now Dalton. you have a proper quarterback coming in, and Joe Burrow, the sky's the limit for Tyler Boyd. And I, I think we're talking about a guy, again, if A.J. Green proves to be unreliable and not healthy, this is the standalone number one wide receiver in this offense. No yes. questions asked. Hail to Pitt. Means, which means Tyler Boyd is a thousand-yard receiver. Based on my numbers, I don't have him at that, but that's because of A.J. Green being there. But if he's not there, Tyler Boyd takes off. Tyler Boyd, hail to Pitt. Hail to Pitt. That's right. Love that. Love that place. All right. Great and then, place? So, yeah. Well, yeah. My, I mean, my sister went there. So I know. I know. Yeah. Phenomenal. May produce some Phenomenal. great players. Phenomenal institution. Yes. Produced such greats as Curtis Martin, <laughs> Mike Dicka, Mike Dicka, James Connor, Larry Fitzgerald, Darrell Rivas. You you you're you're not salty over uh, Terrell Rivas, no, Dan Marino. So you're we're we're gonna choose to ignore the fact that Terrell Rivas uh, won a Super Bowl with the New England Patriots, and not the New York Jets. Yes, we're gonna ignore that, and let's go. Okay. Let's not talk about the tight ends for the Cincinnati Bengals because they're terrible. Yes, there there are no tight ends that you are investing in here. And it's, move on. CJ Uzama is going to be the starter, but you yeah. are not investing in him. No, and no, 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 no. Move on to the Cleveland Browns. This is an interesting team. So starting off with the quarterback here, Baker Mayfield had a not so great second year in the NFL. He threw for 3,827 yards with 22 touchdowns and 21 interceptions. Oi, Gavalt. 21 interceptions. I mean, you got to hope that he's going to have a bounce back season because after such great, showing such great potential his rookie year, I don't think that he's going to, he had thrown it away so quickly in his sophomore season. You know, with a better coaching staff around him in, uh, in Kevin Stefanski. I think it's gonna. He's gonna have a better season, definitely, because just the sheer amount of dysfunction going on within the Cleveland Browns probably contributed to the fact that Baker Mayfield did not just did not do well at all uh, last year. But Baker Mayfield just he has the weapons. He has the tools. We have the technology to rebuild him. He has two great running backs, two great wide receivers. And a top five, a top ten tight end. I mean, the pieces are there. Some would even say, yeah, 
two top 20 tight ends if you're including David and Joku into this conversation. Yes. Um, with Baker, this is, one of, this is one of the tougher projections that I had to do. I'm not going to lie because if you look at his schedule, he has the fourth easiest schedule amongst quarterbacks. So right off the page, that's, that's a good start. But this Cleveland offense should be so much better than it is. It, 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 I don't understand what happened last year. You could say Freddie Kitchens made this a complete dumpster fire. There was no real trust between Baker and, and the guys he was playing with. Odell Beckham comes in and throws the chemistry completely off. You know, you could say what you want, but Baker Mayfield is a better quarterback than, than he showed. And for me, it comes down to I think we have a bounce back from from Baker Mayfield. The one thing that I think people also get lost in a little bit is Baker Mayfield still threw for 3,800 yards last year. That's a pretty solid season from Baker Mayfield. It's the interceptions that were a major, major, major problem. So his overall decision-making just has to be better, and he has to stop forcing the ball to guys like <clears throat> Odell Beckham. So – what do I expect from Baker Mayfield for this season? I have him being the same guy that he was last year, minus the interceptions practically, and an uptick in touchdowns. I have him down for 3,907 passing yards. I have him down for 27 touchdowns, 17 interceptions, and I have him down for two rushing touchdowns as well. So at the end of the day, we're talking a guy that, if he gets a little bit more luck based on my projections, you're talking about could be a 30-total touchdown guy and I think it, no, one, no one is complaining from where he's going. He's going. He is going later right now than Joe Burrow is, which is ludicrous to me. I mean, that that's great value. Absolutely ludicrous. Getting Baker Mayfield at that, at that position. I agree. I agree. I would rather have Baker Mayfield over Joe Burrow. 100%. Yep. Yep. The interesting thing about that, I mean, we're going to be talking about Odell Beckham Jr., of course, when we move on to the wide receivers, but there were times where Baker Mayfield just didn't even target Odell Beckham Jr. in games. You're right. You're right. And as a guy who owned Odell Beckham Jr. last year, I am well aware that there were games where Jarvis Landry would come out with 14 catches and Odell Beckham Jr. would only have one target and one catch, and then that would be it. So, And you would be cursing at everyone with insight. Yes, I would. I'd be very mad. And I was, because frankly, it's kind of ridiculous because it's either, it's just so lot, it was just so lopsided, the target share for Cleveland, but we're, I'm getting ahead of myself. We have to go to the other, I mean, to another position, to another position group here in the running backs, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And this is an interesting running back tandem. Certainly. And uh, Nick Chubb is still going in the late first round, early second round. And I think that it's not a bad place for him, but you got to take into account that Kareem Hunt is here. He's going to be here for the full season and that he is going to take out, he's going to take some, some usage away from uh, Nick Chubb in a way that, uh, that no other running back has done in, Nick Chubb's brief career in the NFL. So, yeah, I mean, Kareem Hunt did really well 
in the second half of 2019. And so he, it's going to be, I think it's going to be an even sort of competition or even sort of usage for the Cleveland Browns as far as the running backs are concerned. See, I, my issue with this whole Browns situation is Kareem Hunt, you know, is going to be the passing downs guy. And based on my projections, that's what, exactly what I have him as. I have him down for 100 carries, 450 yards, four touchdowns. But then the receptions, I have him down at 60 receptions at 520 receiving yards and four touchdowns. Whereas with Nick Chubb, I have him down for a pretty monster season on the ground, 280 carries, 1,286 rushing yards, 11 touchdowns. But the receptions, I have him down for 20 receptions and 176 receiving yards and no touchdowns there. Nick Chubb is basically Derrick Henry. Basically. He's going to get you a ton of yards on the ground. He's going to get you a ton of rushing touchdowns. But when it comes to any upside in terms of PPR, there's not going to be there. Nothing. There's nothing there for Nick Chubb. Simple. So at the end of the day, if you're looking for someone that's a bit safer in PPR, I would not go invest in Nick Chubb. But if you're okay with taking the PPR hit that comes with investing in this Cleveland Browns offense, I think Nick Chubb is fine. If you're looking for a guy that can offer you some flex upside, that's Kareem Hunt. And if something happens to Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt gets the opportunity to be the lead back in Cleveland, he's an RB1. So I think both these guys carry extreme upside. I think their floors are extremely, extremely safe as well. And I'm okay with investing in any one of these guys um, in 2020 drafts. I mean, Nick Chubb's ADP right now is hovering at around 12 overall. So he's just going, if you're in a 12-team league, he's just on the cusp of the first and the second round. Whereas Kareem Hunt's ADP, if I could just pull it up really quick, his ADP right now is 74. So he's going he's going right in that seventh round sort of range, which which is fine. Yeah, yep. All right, moving on to the wide receivers here. And it's definitely one of those things where productivity and name value aren't really going together. Because as we've talked about previously, Jarvis Landry was the best receiver in this Browns offense in 2019. And Odell Beckham Jr. sat by the wayside, probably painfully, considering that he played through the entire season with a sports hernia. So I think yeah. that it's going gonna, it's gonna to even out as far as the usage for both of these receivers. Since Odell Beckham Jr. is going to be fully healthy, one would hope, going into the 2020 season. But as we saw... In 2019, Jarvis Landry is Baker Mayfield's favorite target. It, I think, personally, I'd rather have Jarvis Landry over Odell Beckham Jr. And I think, I dis- he, yeah, I disagree. I disagree. I, I would rather have Odell Beckham Jr. over Jarvis Landry. I mean, Jarvis Landry right now is on the pop, but that is not going to. It shouldn't be a long-term issue with him. So that is obviously the. Um, the good news that you want to hear for uh, for Jarvis Landry, of course, he had that offseason hip surgery, so that obviously has him on the uh, on the pop list. But 
Jarvis Landry, I, you know what you're getting out of him. You're getting a safe, hefty amount of receptions. You're not going to get a ton of touchdowns, and the yards are going to be safe for you. I think he, he's the safest out of Jarvis and o- Odell. I think that's, that's for sure that Jarvis Landry is the safe option. I have him down for 76 receptions, 990 receiving yards, and five touchdowns. For Jarvis Landry, that's basically putting him right now at around the wide receiver 30, which is fine. His ADP right now is 70, so he's going just top of the seventh round. So you're taking him there. That's just that's great value. Yeah, for sure. as a flex. For someone that's good. Yeah, for someone that's going to be very safe, and especially if you're playing in a three-receiver league and you need a third receiver, Jarvis Landry could be your guy, and I think that, that that's perfect for him. Whereas with Odell, yes, he does carry the much higher ceiling, but the lower floor, no doubt about it, as obviously shown by his overall uh, production from a season ago. This is what bothers me with Odell. Just he should be he should be a breakout star in in Cleveland, like he was like he was in New York. But for some reason, it just has not clicked with him and Baker. There's no way that Odell Beckham in 16 games last year should be only a thousand yard receiver with four touchdowns. That's a joke. That's a joke. What I have for Odell and his overall projections for this upcoming season, I have him down for about 83 receptions, 1,096 receiving yards, and eight touchdowns. I think this is a bounce-back season for Odell, has the sixth easiest schedule for wide receivers, him along with Jarvis Landry. So I think Odell is, is, is primed for a bounce-back season. And his ADP right now, he's going 45. That's middle of the fourth round. You're telling Ooh. me I can get Odell in the middle of the fourth round? That's great value. That's that is really ridiculous good. value. So I'll take that. I would take that too in a, in a, in a heartbeat. So, um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Odell this year. And if you can get him in the middle of the fourth round, that's outstanding value. I would take that all day long. Well, actually, I guess maybe I should amend my statement where I said I like Jarvis Landry more than Odell Beckham Jr. I think I was putting it into the sort of lens that Odell Beckham Jr. was going where he's gone previously, which is high up in the wide receiver pecking order. Yeah, around the round two, round three sort of turn. Yeah, if not higher than that. Yeah. But if you're getting him at 45, you take that. Absolutely. You're not relying, you're not building your whole your whole team around Odell. And that's yeah. the best part about it is that you're not completely relying on him nope. to be the guy. Mm-mm. And odds are at that point, you already have another wide receiver there where you're talking about Odell being your wide receiver too. Yes. Well, that's, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. Moving on to the tight ends and uh, Austin Hooper was a big, big addition to the tight end room for the Cleveland Browns coming off a breakout season for the Atlanta Falcons that kind of pushes David Njoku out to the uh, out to the sidelines out to the on the back burner for Cleveland but what do you think about this tight end situation Uh, it's Austin Hooper's job for sure Uh, I think David Njoku could see a run if he's not traded I mean he's been trying to work his way out of Cleveland through his agent Drew Rosenhaus but as far as I know from what I've heard the Browns are not going to trade David Njoku 
So really, he's there for the long haul. Well, they drafted Harrison true. Bryant at tight end also. So there's a true. replacement there. True. At, there, at is a, there is an in-house replacement if need be. Exactly. So Austin Hooper had the breakout season last year with Atlanta, but that was also with Matt Ryan, who makes a living out of producing great tight ends, namely, of course, the greatest tight end to have ever lived in Logan Paulson. But in, in any event, I digress. I think Austin Hooper takes a step back. I think there's a lot of mouths to feed in this Cleveland Browns offense. But then again, I'm also – I'm not too cold on him. I like him. I have him as a top 12 tight end. But he's not someone that I'm really just looking to go and, and, and draft. I'm not putting him anywhere near the top guys. I'm not putting him really anywhere near the secondary guys. I'm putting him sort of in the, the, the low group of that second class of tight ends and maybe at the top of the third group of tight ends. So what do I have Austin Hooper at? I have him down for 50 receptions for 602 receiving yards and four touchdowns. So at the end of the day, it's not an impressive season numbers wise for Austin Hooper, but it's really about managing expectations with him. He's going into an offense where there are a ton of mouths that need to be fed. And Austin Hooper may be the fourth option in the passing game outside of Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, and Kareem Hunt. So it, it really is just managing expectations when it comes to drafting Austin Hooper. Yep, exactly. So I don't really have anything else to say about that. Let's move on to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And wow, uh, this is the quarterback situation for Pittsburgh is well, you, one would hope that Big Ben is going to be back and fully healthy for 2020. He has been throwing footballs, and I think he shaved. I'm sure he shaved his he beard. Yeah, he did. Because he is able to throw football after his uh, terrible shoulder injury that took him out of last season. And really, the interesting thing about the Steelers is that the Steelers weren't terrible with Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges. But I think as far as Ben Roethlisberger is concerned, he, he has a good offense around him, and the guy drops back like 50 times a game. So you're going to get that volume from Ben Roethlisberger. There were many years where Ben Roethlisberger has led the leagues, had led the league in pass attempts, and I don't think I'm going to be seeing that. We're going to be seeing that change for 2020. So yeah, I don't know. I don't think he's going to be one of those guys that is going to be in the upper echelon of quarterbacks. Of course, not anymore. But he's he's definitely a serviceable option if you want a later round quarterback option for your uh, for your team yeah i mean i have ben roethlisberger right now as my qb 13 so just outside my top 12 quarterbacks yeah i think the days of ben roethlisberger really just slinging the ball around are gone it's going to be more of a balanced offensive approach and that definitely does take a hit on ben roethlisberger's numbers remember in 2018 he threw for over 5,000 yards led the league in pass attempts with 675, and then in passing yards as well. And that's when he had 34 touchdowns, which was a career high for him. In, in 2020, I really don't see a situation where that's going to repeat itself. While I think the attempts are still going to be up, I have him down for about 552 passing attempts. 
I have that equated to about 4,127 passing yards with 28 passing touchdowns, 16 interceptions, and I also sprinkled in a rushing touchdown for him. So at the end of the day, you're talking about a guy that could be a 30-touchdown guy. The interceptions, of course, are going to be up. That's always the case with Ben Roethlisberger with the, with the amount of uh, – with the way he which he throws the ball and the amount of volume in which he throws the ball. So, really, it comes down to, for me, if you're looking for a guy that's a cheap option, he's going right now 119th overall, guy that's cheap, guy that's going to be a high-volume passer, guy that's going to get you touchdowns, going to get you yards, but is has the potential to hurt you in other weeks. I think you do a whole lot worse than, than Ben Roethlisberger. And, you know, really the one question with him is, of course, health. You know, it's, it's not a performance issue with him. I think it's really does come down to, to health with Ben Roethlisberger. Yep. Well, he does have a great week one matchup. I'll tell you that. Yes. Yes, he does. Oh, man. He's going to rip apart the New York Giants on Monday Night Football. I'll tell you what. It's going to happen. But uh, moving on down to the running back and James Connor, another product of the university of Pittsburgh. And um, yeah, James Connor, he was doing really well over 20, over 2018 and part of 2019, but he was injured and it just wasn't looking too great as, as far as that is concerned. I mean, hopefully he can be stay he can stay healthy, but he's had a couple injury uh, issues. Uh, there are other good running backs in the Steelers' offense that could be taking away um, touches from James Conner. So you have to really keep in mind on that. Anthony McFarland and Benny Snell, yeah, yeah. So and Jalen Samuels too. Yes, of course. Can't rule it uh, out. What are you thinking about uh, James Conner at running back here? Uh, he's a risky investment for sure. I mean, based on what you just said, Adam, I think you're 100% right. He's going right now at 44th overall. This is ADP. I'm not taking him there at all. I think it's way too, way too risky. I have him down right now as my RB25, just outside of my top uh, 24 running backs. Uh, at the end of the day, I think if James Conner is healthy and James Conner is um, is performing, then this is he's he's a lock to be a top 20 running back. But it really just comes down to, is he healthy and is he effective? And so right now, my projections for him, I have him down for just about 200 carries for 830 rushing yards and five rushing touchdowns. And I also, I also have him rag, um, I also have him getting some catches as well, 40 receptions for around 292 receiving yards and two receiving touchdowns. So we're talking about a guy that this could be seven touchdowns, uh, but that's just how my, my rankings reflect him. I, I have him outside my top 24, and that's basically what my projections reflect, that he is he's a meh option. I'm, not, I'm personally not very high on James Conner. I won't be taking him in a lot of places this year, and my projections uh, reflect that. Yeah. I, I agree. I'm not too – I'm a bit more kind of – we. I don't know what's the – what even is the word I'm looking for here? You're wary on taking him. Yes. I'm more wary on taking James Conner than I would with uh, other running backs that are going around that area. So at the, at the end of the day, I will say that if James Conner does make it, 
to the middle to late to late round five, I would take him in a heartbeat, as as you should. But the problem for me is that he's going in the middle of the fourth, and that's just not an investment that I'm willing to make. So, at the end of the day, it really just comes down to um, you know beauty is in the eye of the beholder, as they say, and um, he, I just don't find James Conner to be um, the most uh, the most beautiful uh, bridesmaid around. Unfortunately. Uh, we've been having some issues with uh, Wi-Fi and software, but you know that's what happens when you record during a tropical storm and just during bad weather in general. So I'm going to be giving you the lowdown on the Steelers' wide receivers and tight ends, and then wrapping up the show in the absence of Mr. Birdsall. So uh, as far as Juju Smith-Schuster is going. He's going to be returning as the Steelers' number one wide receiver, of course, in this offense. With more stable quarterback play, we hope, with uh, Big Ben Roethlisberger, who hopefully will be there for a full season after his uh, reconstructed uh, shoulder shoulder surgery. And as far as uh, Bird's projections for Juju Smith-Schuster, he's projecting 87 catches, 1,128 yards and seven touchdowns, which frankly, it's a pretty solid season. Um, I don't know how many people are going to be drafting him as high as they drafted him in 2019. I think people might be more wary of him because they realize that if something, God forbid, happens to Big Ben, then, you know, if there might not be as much value in Juju as opposed to having a healthy Big Ben for the entire season. So yeah, I definitely agree with Bird's projections here. And then another name as far in the wide receiver core is Deontay Johnson, who Bird projects at 67 catches with 803 yards and five touchdowns, which also is solid. Uh, I think if Juju, who actually had a, a bit of injury bother, injury trouble in last season where he only played 12 games. If he doesn't play a full 16-game season, then I think that Deontay Johnson will have more of an opportunity to get that those catches and that yardage and maybe even those touchdowns up because he's definitely the uh, number two in this Pittsburgh Steelers offense behind, of course, of course, Juju Smith-Schuster. And as far as the tight ends are concerned, uh, one of the big additions that the Steelers brought in was Eric Ebron from the Indianapolis Colts, who cooled right the fuck off after a hot 2018. And I think him and Vance McDonald, it's going to be an interesting competition to see who's going to be the actual starting tight end. Um... There's a chance that Vance McDonald is going to be the guy just based on how long he's been there. And frankly, I think Vance McDonald's the better tight end than Eric Ebron. And as far as that is concerned, I think they're definitely worth a look considering how thin the tight end market is, especially in the later rounds. If you're, if you're waiting a while to get a tight end, they're definitely worth a look. Or if you're streaming, you, have, you need like a bi-week fill-in or something along those lines. But otherwise, thank you for listening to this episode of the Basement Talk Podcast Fantasy Show. 
You can find all episodes of the Basement Talk Podcast Fantasy Show and all episodes under the Basement Talk Podcast umbrella on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Hopefully there will not be any Wi-Fi or software issues for the episode that we're planning for later in the week where we will be talking about the NFC North. Until then, I'm Adam Castor, and for my co-host Ed Birdsaw, we will talk to you next time on the Basement Talk Podcast Fantasy Show.